0: So as listeners to our podcast will know, every time we have a guest, I ask them the same final question, which is, what's your favourite sort of infrastructure and why? And and Janice and I were chatting a couple of weeks ago, and we thought, actually, we'd never answered that question ourselves, and perhaps at that stage, didn't really know what the answer was. And to some extent, we spring it on our our guests, but... um, we thought it might be fun to find out what our favourite sort of infrastructure is and um, and then question each other about it. So I'm going to kick off. Janice, what's your favourite sort of infrastructure and why?
1: Yeah, this is a really hard question to answer. Um, and, um, and, and actually, my initial responses surprised me somewhat. But I actually, I'm going to um, be cheeky and put forward two. So my first reaction Not was... Not really within
0: the rules, is it? No, it's not. Yeah. We're going to test this. You can say two, but I might force the issue. Go on.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's, it's characteristically indecisive. But so so actually, um, my first my first reaction when asked by you this question was schools infrastructure, and and maybe it's just being overly sentimental because we are currently in lockdown and I'm homeschooling my kids. <laughs> the idea of locking them up in a school is just <laughs> wonderful. Um, but. Um, but actually, you know, when I when when my kids started school and I took them to the local public school, you know, you walk in and it there's this huge like built environment with just like so many people running around, so many services provided in one area, and and it it was really um, it, it's a really amazing type of infrastructure because its use is very clear the customer is very clear and the service culture is very clear like you walk into a primary school and you know that the value is in the space that it provides for the services that are then given to people Mm -hmm. and it's a very very evident kind of um public value so um as a as a type of infrastructure to me that's really cool because it you know oftentimes you go to a, a public primary school and and actually you know um, you know, some some of the, the build environment's a little bit, you know, run down and, you know, the toilet mm-hmm. blocks might be a bit kind of awful. But, like, the actual um, environment is amazing. So um, you hope this is what you want. And um, so schools infrastructure definitely came to mind first up. Um,
0: Do you know what I um, like about schools? I yeah. don't know if this is uniquely Australian. Yeah. But they also <laughs> play this really important part in our democracy, particularly primary schools, because yeah. elections tend to be that you go to the local school.
1: Yeah.
0: And there's this like a...
1: Totally. They're, uh, they're the community infrastructure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd like to see then, them
0: more, though. Like, I, I ask a school that my daughter goes to up the road, is um, it, like it's got big high fences yeah. around it, and it sort of feels like outside of nine till three. Mm. Like it's, you know, it's, it's designed to lock people out except for when there's a a democracy sausage sizzle on election day. I think we could do more with them.
1: You definitely could do a lot more with them. Uh, Maybe like our local school has a lot of um, on-site, like after-school care, you know, music classes, sports clubs, things like that. And I think there's probably variability between how much school sites get used between schools. Mm. It comes down to how those schools are run, but... Yes, when you see them as these um, canvases on which a whole raft of a cluster of, of, of service providers kind of come together for children, like that's a pretty cool model, yeah? Right, um, that's number one. Like there's, something, there's something quite democratic about it, like you're right, because it's, it's where you have elections, okay. but they're also like, the center of these communities you know so so actually you know my my daughter just knows so many people in the local area as a result of going to this school um yeah so there, that is it's, it's a real point of, of local connection
0: all right schools the then schools so what, what's the other one that we're I'm well, gonna I, <laughs> challenge
1: yeah and then i and then i sort of challenge myself to not think about it as like a parent, a self-interested parent that wants to send my kids back to school. And I thought, what are the things like that, that I really like? And I really like airports. I love airports. Um, and um, I love flying. When you go into an airport, it's chaos. But you see these feats of engineering and organisation and, you know, that 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 to me is also um, like a really impressive um, uh, form of infrastructure. And then it made me reflect on a question, which is, that actually my criterion for answering this question was my own experience of a place, of a built environment as a, as a, as a user of that infrastructure. What is, the, what is the public but also the personal value of the services that are provided within that? Um, yes, and that was my overriding criterion.
0: So, so the other theme here, I don't know yeah. if you've picked up on it, is it's things you're currently missing out on. <laughs> Yeah. you can't fly because you're in lockdown and you can't send your kids to school yeah, yeah. Um, so is it, is it is it just that they're your favourite or are there things you're currently pining for because of lack of having them
1: I think both yeah they're, they're two things I really really miss in lockdown yeah. but they are also things I, I actually genuinely love yeah. yeah so so um, I'm
0: kind of pretty clear on the schools one but so let's mm. talk about airports because mm. is it is it the, I think a lot of people would say, well, that an airport is a means to an end, which is the the flying, and then ultimately the destination. Um, but you're saying it, it, the airport itself, you enjoy.
1: Yes, as a place. Yes. Um, so a couple of points. I think uh, is it just a means to an end, somewhat, but it's also a connection point for a whole raft of services. It's where you then, you know. Um, you you might connect flights, you, you then connect to other forms of transport there. Um you, you know you sometimes end up having meetings there. You, you know, it's it's and it's also where uh, as a place it provides a whole bunch of amenity. Like you often find right, I needed to buy this book and I've been planning to get that for a while or get some paper newspapers or, you know, just and get a coffee. Uh, and and what it is as an experience is um a, a place where you are uh, Wait for something, a service in a way, and 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 you take stock of what your next step is there. And you know when you walk into an airport, um, just something about me relaxes. I'm like, oh, good, I'm here. I've just managed to make my flight. Um, you know, and and just the anticipation of then getting a flight is um, is great. Yeah, I'm. Um, uh, interesting that you
0: relax when you get to the airport I mean, maybe, maybe they're not relaxing for us. I, I, I quite like flying i like traveling mm. uh, i quite like airports from a like i'm a bit of an aviation buff so I kind of like yeah, I like yeah. but um i can't abide queuing i hate it in, in, wherever i am like i hate queuing in a supermarket i hate just queues just annoy me and mm. i mean airports like it's one big queue right you're queuing to check in you're queue to go through security you're sat on a plane and it's essentially a queue to get off at the other end mm. like you you like queuing
1: <laughs> i like traveling yeah
0: hmm. um, necessitates the means to an end then doesn't it
1: yes but you know i i think that when you get to the airport you're you're just much more conscious of the journey and you, you put other things away, you know, because you just, there's not, you know, you can't, you're anticipating your fight, you can't really do anything else. You sit down you yeah. get a coffee and you wait. Um, you know, that, the experience of that is a good one. So uh, a <laughs> common, common theme
0: again across your two choices, mm-hmm. in particular the why rather than the what, is that you've spoken about the service the infrastructure delivers. And when, yes. we, when we've spoken, I think particularly to the engineers that we have on our mm. um, podcast. So, they're, um, you know, a lot of them aren't necessarily a, an engineer now, but engineers by training. They'll often pick a, a, a built form because, or, or or it being built. I remember one, one of the guests yes. said tunnels, but only when they're being made. Not interested in tunnels yes. when they're being built, but a tunnel being made is really interesting, or a bridge under construction. But you've spoken in bo- both the examples, and I'm going to force you yes. to make a favourite, but both the examples, you've spoken not about the actual piece of built form, but the, the services it delivers. Correct. yes. So what, what is it about your, the way you see the world that means that you're focused not on the building, but on the, the education services or the, the, the amenities provided at an
2: airport?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that is what actually attracts me to infrastructure. And, and like I, I don't think I'm alone in that. Like a lot of the people I talk to through work who, who you know, it's we haven't necessarily come to infrastructure through an engineering background. Um, it might be through an economics or a public policy one. And and actually, you know, governments are increasingly thinking that way too. They don't think about like infrastructure is enabling. It's an enabling, um, it, it's an enabling built form for a service to be provided and <clears throat> you want to think about the customer who receives that service, the, the person, the user um, and, and the community that receives and uses that service. So for me, the ones that personally came forward is like my favourite ones were the ones where you could really see that, where it was very, very evident, um,
2: yeah. It's interesting You say
0: that politicians are becoming increasingly aware of that, but I get so frustrated when I read media releases that say we're building a 30-kilometre road or a, we're adding 100 beds to a hospital or... Because yeah. that's kind of meaningless. Like, you know, yeah. um, you, you'll you be able or to dollars, get surgery faster. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, in yeah.
0: I, or, I, I, I don't know that we... Oh, the other one is um, we, we're spending x billion dollars on something i just think how yes. much is a billion
1: yeah how much is a billion is it 30 or 34 is 34 billion is that more than you know 50 billion all of it all of the numbers just start to become a bit meaningless in a while so yes there's a i think there's a communication issue around infrastructure program and, and the why is really important um mm. but but it's very easy with infrastructure to talk about the outputs you know yeah. this as a road you know this sort of upgrade you know this interchange, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and it's very easy to talk about that, and it's harder to kind of really sell the value of the of, of the of the enablement. Yeah. You know? The other
0: thing is, it's is like incremental benefit. When someone says, well, your journey is going to be four minutes faster," you think mm-hmm. that's a lot of effort for four minutes faster. <laughs> but of course, like everybody's journey is four minutes faster, so that's why it makes sense. And um, you've right. obfuscated. Well,
1: at certain points in the time in the day, can mean a lot.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it can, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you've obfuscated for far too long now. You've got to pick a favourite, schools or airports.
1: I would probably go with my first hunch, which was schools. Schools. Yeah. All right.
0: Yeah. Um, so there you go. Janice Lee, yeah. partner in the integrated infrastructure team at PWC, <laughs> says schools are her favourite. This is going yeah. to ruin the, your image with clients in other areas of infrastructure. Yeah. <laughs> <have a senior laughs> of schools buff. Hey, it's not hardcore
1: enough. <laughs> Okay, Adrian. I'm going to ask you. So, what's your what's your favourite type of infrastructure?
0: I haven't got one. Don't even like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: um,
0: so, uh, same as you. This is hard, right? Because um, yeah. it's something of a problem from a a, a membership organisation that where the central thesis is that it's the whole infrastructure sector. Um, and, and for us, infrastructure is energy telecommunications water transport and social infrastructure mm-hmm. um and our, our definitions are super broad across that so it's a challenge because um actually my my, my personal interest and my policy interest in my career is in all forms of infrastructure and broad a bit you know broad infrastructure and um also if i picked one you know if i said water then the members who are uh, into energy infrastructure. I think that I picked one, you know, sort of my favorite child. So um, a challenge and, but thankfully, my answer is um, is actually not a specific type of infrastructure per se. And i thought about this quite deeply. Um, my My favorite sort of infrastructure is a well-priced piece of infrastructure. And I will explain what that meant. So I've I've always been um, like really into the elegance of markets mm-hmm. and um, like the really basic economic principles of supply and demand and and, and a, and a mm-hmm. price point. And I really like really like the idea of infrastructure that is um, where there's either a price discovery mechanism or there's a um a, a revenue stream that means that that thing can be built and paid for and additions to it can be funded and there's a there's a, a signal that's created through pricing that tells you when you need additional capacity so i like give I've us said an it example <laughs> is
1: there a, is there an um, exemplar in that
0: like the national energy market I, i've said it before on this podcast there's this, there's this like it, at five minute intervals, the national energy market resets its mm-hmm. pricing between jurisdictions mm-hmm. in order for energy to flow to, um, to the areas of um, where it can achieve the highest price
2: mm-hmm. and,
0: um, between jurisdictions. So you have this kind of self-leveling mechanism. And it's never level, but it's always mm-hmm. seeking level. Mm-hmm. And the, all of the decisions of that market, of, of all the individuals in it, all of the demand side, all of the supply side, Ultimately comes down to a five-minute price, and then various other services mm-hmm. off the back of it. And there's just an elegance to that, um, to that because that ultimately feeds back to the cost of provision of the infrastructure, including all of not only the generation mm-hmm. capacity but all of the um, all of the, the transmission and distribution that follows that. Um, another example is um, a, a toll road. Mm-hmm. Okay, more more static in nature, less dynamic, yes. but yeah, you know, ultimately a, a a toll is set by a price discovery mechanism through a competitive mm-hmm. market where the toll mm-hmm. reflects the cost of designing, building, financing, and maintaining that piece of infrastructure over a, a set concession period. And you have all these different levers that ultimately result in a toll being whatever that toll is. Mm-hmm. And then conversely, we have a broader road network um, where, where the pricing is a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have uh, people in regional areas that are kind of screwed by the existing system because exactly. they pay more it's... in fuel excise and they drive on
2: mm-hmm.
0: poorer quality roads. So you can see this really stark example of where a where a pricing mechanism, both in in energy and in in this particular example around roads, and there's others as well, water and others, where you've got there's a clear link between something that's well priced and well regulated. Mm-hmm delivering high quality infrastructure versus something where yes. you, you don't have as much. So it's not, my, my answer to the question yeah. is not this particular type of built infrastructure or that particular type, but actually yes. the 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 economic framework that fits, that fits around it to make yes. sure it can be delivered.
1: But so in some ways, what you say about energy is absolutely true. But, but in the last few years, you would have to say that that, relationship that nexus between something that is well-priced and something that is very responsive to users needs is is, is that nexus is somewhat broken or tested yeah. i think right well, um, like, yeah and i like that
0: right because there's a that that tells you about the dynamic nature of markets that the point of competition changes regulation has to change to catch up i think in the energy space it hasn't done that fast enough yeah because of the rapidity of the change but so take another area of energy right there's there's um meter reading um was in in the past done by the um ultimately by the distributor they owned the meter and Mm -hmm. they come to your house and they read the meter and that's a effectively a monopoly service like it you know Mm -hmm. there's it just makes sense for there to be one meter and for in each um for Mm. each consumer and coming around and looking at that but actually new technology means that that point of competitive pressure has changed so now we have a have a smart meter in my house it can be read remotely conceptually that could be delivered as a competitive service and there's additional overlays of service that can be provided to that. You add in things like solar panels, which, you know, got them on the roof and what have you, and then this whole different dynamic in the market. And then the market has to, has to catch up with that and has to change. And there's a whole reform process supporting that now. So I think you're right about the frailty, but actually what, what we, what we know is whatever the future of the energy market looks like, um, the The most optimal solution will be one that relies on a market and a price discovery mechanism to deliver the best services for consumers within mm. a regulated, well structured market environment.
1: Yes, and I, I mean what I like about I mean what I like about your example of smart meters is that it 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 somewhat offers users more than one lever. Um, like it's not just about price; it's also about Being able to participate and understand their own usage and manage their own demand somewhat, and that's it's a it's a wider participation framework, isn't it?
0: Than just yeah, like yeah, there's data and transparency to it. Um,
2: Yeah,
1: more transparency. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I, yeah, that's what you need for a market to function: is as much information as possible, and you need to tear down information asymmetries. Or if there's a if there's an information asymmetry that is impactful on consumers, you have a regulatory intervention that makes sure mm-hmm. that consumers are protected. Like we, we, we're quite sophisticated at at doing this stuff. Mm. Um, and now I, I should say, like I like. Can I your, just say?
1: Can I just suggest though that you have also avoided the question then of not answering what your favourite type of infrastructure is?
0: <laughs> no, it's was deft, wasn't it?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I'm gonna. <laughs> I should also say I think there's certain types of infrastructure that can't be priced and shouldn't be priced. So um, your example of schools and social infrastructure, like I, um, Mm. uh, I'm a
1: regional roads. Sorry, say again? Regional roads, for example. Yeah, regional roads. roads, roads,
0: uh, There's a community service obligation to those. And and even something like public transport, which kind of straddles social and economic infrastructure where you have some cost recovery, but not Uh, full cost recovery. So Mm -hmm. I kind of, i i'm not saying i don't like those things for which we don't pay directly for the service but mm-hmm. for something like a road or um an energy network like when i switch on the light
2: mm-hmm.
0: i'm i'm the beneficiary of that light mm-hmm. it's pretty clear that only me in that room with that light on is the beneficiary of that so i should pay for it
2: mm-hmm.
0: um the same is true to some extent of a toll road. That, that, that you know, there's an option value to it being there for society, but but in reality, it's the the person or the goods travelling on it are the beneficiary. So, right, I should pay. And you move through that spectrum towards something like primary education, where there's a clear societal benefit to having a greater average level of education in society. Mm-hmm. Um, same is true of healthcare systems. Like I benefit from other people being healthy, therefore. You know, I'm, I'm a strong believer in a, a sort of free at the point of use uh, healthcare system, universal healthcare system. Same true for education, um, particularly at the younger ages and as you move up. So those things are really important from the service point of view and and pricing them would be hard and probably counterproductive. Mm-hmm. But I'm just attracted to the elegance of... Of well-priced infrastructure, and in particular, the provision of a revenue stream that allows you to recover the cost of delivery, but also future upgrades. It provides mm-hmm. signals. It provides transparency about where you need to make future investments and how you need to make them, and that there's a revenue stream available to make mm-hmm. those future investments. There's something about that, just how that works, that I find mm-hmm. really attractive, Pretty which cool. is why I picked it as an example.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and in in the space of energy, you you have um, Like you do have markets with dynamic pricing but but that doesn't necessarily translate down to household users does it it's like so you don't get like i mean i'm trying to even recall whether do households have peak pricing
0: yeah well it depends on your distribution area but you can now there are services available now where you can access wholesale pricing as a a consumer so Mm. there's a couple of energy providers particularly for people with solar panels um uh, and and sort of behind the meter services where you can opt into something that's a bit more like the wholesale market i think it's it's dulled to some extent in the extremes Mm. but um you you can access that and i've also got so i'm um i've got origin energy Mm -hmm. and there's this um there's a, a I don't know if I'm a test like a, a trial for it, but there's this thing called Origin Spike, where you have um, uh, spike hours, mm-hmm. which are um, anticipated periods of spike demand in the network, and that um, I can I can earn points if I reduce my yes. consumption during that period. So it's um, mm-hmm. like a they've kind of gamified,
1: gamified reduction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and I, it's kind of cool it's interesting and a bit in particular I have um I've attached these little uh I'm yeah. a nerd right just want to be clear I'm not just an infrastructure I'm a, nerd. I'm a nerd generally but I've attached these little um smart um controllers to my um air conditioning
2: mm-hmm. that
0: have um they're called Sensibo. it's like a, a smart wi-fi thing and mm-hmm. it um you can so you can control your air conditioning from anywhere. So we have solar panels on the roof. So on a really hot day, we might pre cool the house, and then switch off the air conditioning as you get into the evening, as the sun goes down,
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: so that we're we're consuming our own energy but cooling the house, and not during peak periods, for instance. But mm-hmm. there's um I have given Origin control of those.
2: Oh, well, have you
0: boxes? Okay. So there's this yep. um through through Origin Spike, I can um there's a thing called an API key, and mm-hmm. They can they can switch my air conditioning down or off during a during peak demand on the network yeah. without any. Got like on one of the forty funding.
1: degree days, they can yeah. just yeah.
0: yeah. You can turn the temperature. Maybe it's set at twenty one, and they can make it twenty three because they want to manage demand. And like I can override it, you know, as mm-hmm. in my right as a consumer. But I, that stuff's kind of it's just kind of cool, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've heard of retailers actually allowing for that, like interaction but i didn't know that people would hand over control of that to yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a consent
0: like yeah it's not automatic i opted into it because i'm just interested
1: yes. in are you um, opted for it but know. did you put bounds on what like did they give you options for what uh, you could allow do them to do. i don't
0: remember no i think yeah. i just gave them effectively control of it as far as i'm aware they've never actually controlled it i don't really use the air much but um you know, I don't. I don't think it was bound. I think it's literally mm. a. I, I um. I set it up, and then in the app, it shows that they have conceptual control
2: mm. Mm.
0: of it. But the, the, the game gamification of it, I think, really interesting because like if you have demand in an energy network, you've got a couple of options. You can you can build additional capacity to support that exactly. demand, or you can try and reduce energy demand and. Yeah. It's it's amazing how how that gamification of it can genuinely influence your your decisions. Like you, yeah. You know, and I'm only, I'm not winning anything of any dramatic substance. It's points that mm-hmm. can ultimately be um, mm-hmm. derived for. I think I think I maybe I can get PayPal money or I can buy mm-hmm. things in it. But um, like I'll, I'll, it's a bit like frequent flyer points. Like people will do some pretty irrational things to get frequent flyer. Points that ultimately don't have a huge deal of value, um, and but this this kind of um, it targets that same I don't know, psychological thing that you want to get. I want to get more points, so then I'm going to reduce my energy demand, and it does it relative to your own demand over the same period of time over the last ten days. So it's mm-hmm. not it's not some arbitrary figure. It's you've used two kilowatt hours of energy during that period for the last 10 days and we require you to reduce it by 30% in order to beat your demand mm-hmm. target. I yeah. suspect it's vastly too complex for your average person to care. But if you're a nerd like me, it's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and it makes a lot more sense because so much of network capacity is built around these incidental peaks. Yeah. That
2: just
1: very pointy. Um, and that, that creates a huge amount of cost that is borne by a large Market, yeah. Across the market. So it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it'd be interesting to know, like, because there would be, so, as you say, there's so much choice, and you can make those choices differently if you're if you're given that option. Um, you know, what what is that? What does that amount to as a kind of share of demand? Say, like, you know, how, yeah. how much of that demand is marginal? Like, has that choice? Um, yeah, I've seen mean- sort of. I mean, you could do that analysis.
0: It'd be good to see. I saw it, um, I mean, it's sort of less of a live issue now, but you remember when that period when um, energy prices had climbed dramatically and we, mm. we, we were all discussing what what were the contributors to that. Yes. I remember seeing some statistics that a, an extraordinary amount of investment, both in real terms and proportionally, was to support less than a couple of hours a year. Yeah. The right. Peak demand in the energy network, and that's just that's just inefficient. But but in part because consumers aren't exposed to the wholesale price, mm. um, you know, if, if you don't have peak pricing, it costs you exactly the same to run the air conditioner at five o'clock in the afternoon, as it does at one mm. o'clock in the afternoon when the sun's shining and there's excess generation capacity versus you know five o'clock. So that. The the um, incentives were historically dulled, but it's also true of roads. Right, we have a mm-hmm. we have a tolled motorway network in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane that um, are very well patronised at um, you know um, four thirty to six thirty, but essentially mm-hmm. empty at two am. Yeah. Um, so there, I was I spoke at a tolling um, reform inquiry in New South Wales recently and. You're just talking about the opportunities to look at things like off peak discounts for freight vehicles. Like if you can get freight vehicles to use that road at 2am because it's more efficient for them to do so through lower prices Mm
2: -hmm.
0: rather than at 9am when people are doing the school run or 8.30am when people are doing the school run, you you, you dramatically improve outcomes for everybody. And it it takes pricing to do that, which is why I like well-priced infrastructure.
1: Yeah. But it also takes other things. It takes planning, right? Because those trucks that might be traveling out of out like out of business hours then have to ha- have delivery sites open at those times for them to get yeah. to. Um, and, and those those delivery sites need to be allowed to operate outside of hours. And often if you know they're in a particular council area close to houses, they, they might not have that permission. So you know, there's, there's there's few a
0: upsides to a yeah. pandemic. But one of the things is the relaxation of the rules around deliveries to places like Coles and Woolies and others mm. outside of those times. So what happened when the pandemic hit? And as you remember, the panic dying of toilet roll and pasta that we went through <laughs> 18 months ago well, governments, state governments effectively dropped those rules and yeah. said, actually, you're allowed deliveries around the clock. Um, and, um, you know, the sky didn't fall in.
1: No. No, and I think you can see that across sectors, actually. Like through COVID, lots of infrastructure sectors actually found ways to use their capacity more innovatively, you know, and the hospitals did the same, um, yeah. you know, like reallocating spaces within hospitals, um, you know, for COVID purposes. Um, you know, the same happened in telco as well. They sort of created, you know, they you know, added a lot of bandwidth Um So yeah, I think uh, to me, that's quite interesting because we often talk about infrastructure as these very, very uh, big upfront cost decisions. And actually there's a whole lot that you can do in the way you manage a network and um, deliver services that gets you extra capacity, look at transport and the way they've kind of allowed for distancing and maintain a certain level of services. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, adrian and my reflections on our favorite types of infrastructure please feel free to like it or add your own comments about what your favorite type of infrastructure is thank you